and I had gotten good feedback. So I'm like, this is going well. I think we're probably, I think she's probably going to give me a promotion. We're going to start talking about promotion here. And we did not. And she looked at me and she said, you are the worst person on my team. You are now listening to the living numbers and Tony rambles, 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 and the living numbers podcast. All right, let's do it. This is the living numbers podcast where the numbers tell the story, but the people give it purpose. Of course, Make sure y'all like, subscribe, download, the whole shebang. You know what to do. This is not your first rodeo. Of course, when we have somebody on for the first time, they get a wonderful intro. And I can tell already by our chat before this episode that this is going to be a fun one. There's probably going to be a lot of laughing here. All right, so here we go. Hailing from... Charlotte, North Carolina, I think. Our guest obtained her bachelor's in broadcast journalism from Hampton University, HBCU. We will talk about that later. Her master's in integrated marketing communication from South Carolina University. So we're in that Carolina's area here. She's helping women rebuild their inner confidence through her personalized VIP coaching at ZanikaChapman.com. She is a gardener, dream chaser, and super communicator based on all of the wonderful certifications that she has. I present the Zanika Chapman. Say hello to the people. Hello, hello. I I like that introduction. That makes me sound like I got a lot going on. I'm here for it. (laughs) Well, I believe you do. Because if you didn't have a great story and a lot of things that you were doing specifically to help people, then I don't think you would be here. So I'm glad that you reached out and was like, hey, yo, like we got to do this. And I was like, let's do it. And so here we are. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and and to to tell my story by the numbers. There we go. There we go. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, we have our first number here. All right. And it's actually a couple numbers. It's 12 to 18 months. As you all know, I have a son that is in between these ages, and he is starting to talk. He can say a ball. He can say hi, bye. We're not here to talk about him, although he's very cute. Uh, Our wonderful guest here is, like I said, a super communicator. And so I want to know, when did that start, right? Did you grow up as a talker? Were you like center of attention? Okay, she's shaking her head for the people who are not watching. She's like, yes, 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 and yes. So take us back to that childhood. Like, How did you develop your voice? Like, Where did that come from? Yeah, so the short answer of was I probably came out talking, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Um, I was one definitely one of those students who my report cards in early grade school always said, great student needs to learn when to stop talking all the time, hands down. I always, I was just talking to my parents the other day about like the, the whoopings I got. Like I grew up in the era where parents would pull out a belt. They were always because Mm. I couldn't stop talking. And man, Tony, I would try so hard. Like there would be times in grade school where it would be like, I really want to talk, but it's going to go on. I got to say something. (laughs) Um, And, you know, as I got older, though, I really, I kind of blame my parents for it. And I blame them and praise them for it a little bit, because as I got older, they were the ones who helped me. Uh, define my voice. I always say Mm. my my grandmother, uh, my paternal grandmother always told me, you ask a question. You know, I I was raised of that. There's no such thing as a silly question. You ask it, you assert yourself. Um, My father would never answer a simple question for me. Dad, how does this work? How does that work? Go look it up. So he taught me how to be resourceful and find answers for myself. 
And then my mother taught me to definitely use your voice. If you felt like you needed to speak up about something to do so. And so as I got older, I I learned how to manage, you know, the, the immaturity around talking and using my voice and really kind of channel it into something greater, into something um, that I could use for good. And so I learned how to go to school board meetings and advocate for things for myself and my classmates. My mother drove me there when I felt like, wow, this is something that's happening that I don't think is fair. She said, well, we're going to go to the mm-hmm. school board and we're going to voice our opinion on that. Um, and then I found strategic communication. Like once I got to college and I learned, wait a minute, this is like not just like I like to talk and be chatty with people. You can actually study and and use communication to drive change, use communication to stel- tell stories that makes people do things that cause people to take action. Because when you think about Mm. marketing and strategic communication and PR, that's really what it is. Those organizations are using communication strategically to get us, the consumer, to do what we want to do. And so that just felt like that is where I need to be. And so I started to study journalism. I actually had um, volunteered at my local radio station as as a high school teenager. And so that really kind of taught me just how people engage with communication, radio specifically, how do they engage with words that are laced over music? And I learned music is very powerful, but that was really where the journey started for me. So many follow-up questions. Okay, my first one, use the word maturity. Yeah. Because me being a high school teacher, seeing the difference, right? When you have a freshman in the class and you have a senior in the class and them knowing how to use their voice in the best way possible, Mm -hmm. knowing when to speak up and then when they speak, how they say, what they say looks very, very different. Like you may have a kid that go, okay, this is stupid. And you go, okay, right? I'm the kind of teacher that's going to go, all right. Okay, so what's stupid about it? Why is it stupid? And then they go, I just don't want to do this, right? That's kind of the very immature way. And you may have another kid that go, well, Mr. Franklin, I understand this because these directions weren't explained thoroughly enough. I'm like, okay, all right, now I can help you. But when when you just get, oh, this is dumb. Like, I don't don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, okay, I... I need more information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why is it dumb? Because when people say those things, right, there's usually something internally that's happening that they don't understand. And oftentimes they don't know how to voice that. So what can you recall a time where if you were more mature, you would have been able to maybe explain something a little more thoroughly or a situation would have turned out a different way where you go, dang, I wish I would have said it this way. I wish I would have used these words to help. Uh Just one like all the time. I feel like that happens to me all the time. Um, Is this a, it's a question, something like from childhood or something like anything where I felt like. Wherever you want. Um, Wow. That's a really good question. Um, Because I can't really pinpoint um, a time because I, I think that when you are, when you know the power of your word sometimes, and, and it's kind of your first way of communicating, it's often, mm-hmm. it happens a lot. <laughs> sometimes you just cannot stop the words. Um, so I, I think when I was very early in my career, I, I had a manager who, um, was not very good at expressing and sharing his words. And he directed one of his outbursts to me. Mm. And in the moment I chose to meet, I chose to match his level of disrespect. We'll say that. Mm. (laughs) Um, And looking back on it, I don't regret it because my, I got my point across And I also let Mm -hmm. him know, I'm saying these things to you in this way because I'm matching your level of disrespect. You've created an environment where this is how we're going to communicate. So I'm going to give it back to you. And I did go home Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm not going to have a job tomorrow. Um, That's probably (laughs) 
it's not was not very yep, this bright. This is over. Let me start. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like, revising right, my resume. Yeah, that that's not going to be a thing anymore. Um, and I did go back the next day and say, you know, that conversation. Even though I still feel like I matched your level of disrespect, it was warranted based on what I was getting. I should not have allowed what you were doing and putting out there to change who I am and who I have been taught to be and how I I want to perform and show up in the workplace. Mm. And I have worked very hard not to match other people's level of disrespect. That's so good because we live in the culture now where it's like, oh, you do this to me? I'm gonna do it to you, and that's not just now. I mean, that's it's been like that for a long time. I don't, I don't really think it will ever change. We can only try to get better as individuals. Absolutely. To go, hey, you know, you're going here. Let's try to bring it down, and try to be an example for other people. Absolutely. You know, especially the younger, younger people. It's just like, no, that's not how we do things. So. From there, I think, how did you start to go into like, okay, I think I may need to use my voice at the school board because that's not always a place where people, like not everybody's going to take that extra step, that yeah. next step. Because yeah, a lot well, of people will complain at home. Who's oh, going yeah, to the school? Who's actually going? Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. I, um, so I'll, I'll tell the story really quickly, but I am a giant nerd. So in high school- all I wanted to do was, and all of my other classmates that graduated before me were all nerds. All I wanted was some honor cords. I wanted to graduate. Mm. I wanted those cords that said, hey, you know, best of the best of the best. And so when I got to high school, ninth grade, they give you your little handbook. Again, big nerd, read the handbook. And it says, hey, these are the requirements, <laughs> these are the requirements to graduate with honors. And so I start tracking that. Like, am I still on track? Freshman year, still yep. on track. Sophomore year, still on track. Well, we get to senior year and all of a sudden, the numbers have changed. And because of the way our district weighted certain courses, and I, I had chosen not to do like AP and honors, you know, I just didn't want that level of pressure at the high school level. It was very competitive. Mm. But the way the courses were weighted, if you didn't have those, you probably would never be able to qualify for your honors court. And I just remember feeling so incredibly defeated, one, and then mm. so incredibly angry that this administration could literally change the rules in the middle of the game. And I talked to my friends about it. Everyone was like, yeah, we're pissed. We're not going to do anything about it. And I went and talked to the principal <laughs> and the principal kind of said, you know, it's above us. It's administrative level. Don't know what to tell you, kiddo. And I went home and I told my mom. So I did go home and complain. And this is not right. You know, this, they should not be allowed to change the rules in the middle of the game. We've been working towards this since freshman year. And my mother, mm -hmm. and this is where, you know, she really taught me in that moment that, if you can do something and use your voice, you use it. And she was the one that said, we're going to go to the school board. She said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I don't know. You, like, you're the parent. I came home and told you. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and she said, we are going to go to the school board. And mm -hmm. um, she sent me off to my room to write my message. What are we going to say when we get there? We went. We found the schedule. We went to the school board meeting. And um, <laughs> I had to sign a little paper to speak. And I, I shared my, my disappointment in the administration for changing this mm. when you had so many seniors across the county that were not going to have this honor that really they have earned. They've been working towards for the last three and a half years. And of course, nothing happened until, fast forward, this was probably the first, first part of the school year, so August or so. Fast forward to about a week before graduation and Ooh. the more prominent high school in the county um, where the majority of the students had way more money and much of a, a different hue than, than me. 
uh, soon realize at their awards night that what do you mean my kid is not graduating with honors? And um, because they had bigger pocketbooks, um, things changed. And I came home one day and my mother got a phone call. A really good friend of ours who was on the school board said, um, I just want to let you know there's been a kerfuffle down at the mm. fancy schmancy high school and uh, all of the previous honors numbers are going to be reinstated. So you let your daughter know when she goes to school tomorrow, she needs to go straight to the guidance counselor and get her honors cord. And yes. <laughs> and so when the story broke, like, oh, small, you know, small town. Oh, my God. All these kids were slighted. The only student who actually was quoted was me. And it said that I was the one student who had raised this issue to the school board back in August and no action was taken. So even the paper was kind of a little snarky, too, of like, well, this one kid told you that way back when. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, in that moment, my mom taught me, one, the power of leveraging your voice, the power of sometimes using your voice and, and going alone, because I really expected that I was going to have all of my friends there with me. None of them showed up. It was literally just me and my mom. And that sometimes it looks like nothing's happening, but something always happens. And I still believe even at that moment, if, if those chords never came, my mom taught me a very valuable lesson mm. in that story. How did you feel? What were the feelings that you had when your mom was like, like, you're going to get your cords? Like what we did made a difference. I felt really proud. I will not lie to you. I felt really proud. I was still a little upset that it was, it was kind of a little like, I told y'all that like six months yep. ago. Um, but I felt really proud knowing that I had voiced that to the highest level that I possibly could. And I didn't just take it lying down. Yeah. You went out there, you're like, hey, uh, this is a problem. I'm like, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> and sometimes, no, no, no. Oftentimes, when the right people get involved, or just, you know, plainly the people with the most money, mm -hmm. then things start to change. Unfortunately, that's how our society works. But... You know, sometimes we do get those residuals and the right things do happen for the right people. And, and Tony, I will tell you, I, I wholeheartedly believe as well that had I also not, because school board meetings are public record, what's stated in them, what's mm. said in them are public record. I wholeheartedly believe that had I not gone to that meeting, it could have very well been only those kids would have gotten their stuff reinstated. But because me voicing that complaint was public record. I, I think it also gave them less cover to try and do that. They had to make it right. Mm -hmm. And or it, it would have been even everybody. Yep. It would have been an even bigger problem <laughs> if they didn't. Good yeah. job. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Use your voice. For all my high school kids out there, I'm showing y'all this. Get out there. Use your voice. Be able to thoroughly reason your point. Yeah. Miss Chapman did not go in there halfway, half-heartedly. She had a statement. It was thoroughly written. I'm sure her mother read it multiple times. She made her go back and rewrite. How many times did you have to rewrite that statement? I only rewrote it a couple of times. Okay. But that's what I'm talking about. There were some revisions. Yes. You can't come up and try to talk about a problem and you have no legs to stand on. Okay? Absolutely not. Thoroughly reason whatever it is that you want to go after and then go for it hopefully you've got some people to back you up and and make some things happen so we're going to continue to our next number because this number is very uh important to the next part of your life and our number is 1878 because the University of Hampton was founded to provide an education to freedmen after the Civil War. And that education was then provided to you. Yes. So the first thing I thought of when I saw this school is, oh, she went to HBCU. I did. 
because I often battle with myself, like, man, should I have gone to a HBCU? Like, how would that experience have been? Because I've had people say it's totally different than going to a different kind of university, right? We we know what we call those. Uh, but just talk about your HBCU experience, and then I want you to compare it to like going for your master's because you didn't went to South Carolina University. Yeah. yeah. So my H my HBCU experience was it was beautiful, um, and, and I mean I talked about the story of of the honors court. I I just felt like I have always been very like perceptive, and there there were a lot of things I felt like were embedded in that changing of the the, the numbers and all of that, and so I felt like by the time I got to college. I was a little tired. Like I felt like, man, mm. I am tired of fighting um, to be seen and to be heard. And I just wanted to go somewhere where I could just kind of take the gloves off a little bit and just sit back and be loved. And Hampton University 100% loved on me. Um, it was an environment where I, I was I was never kind of, or, or we as a collective were never kind of made to feel inferior to anybody else. The whole system, the whole culture of the university is cultivated towards you. And it was also probably the first time for me that I also saw young people, young black people who were striving to be successful. Mm. And you didn't have to hide that. You didn't have to kind of like play this role of like the class clown, but really like really you getting great grades because it's kind of like everybody here is about their business. Don't get it twisted. Right. The weekend starts on Thursday night, but everybody here is about their business, right? And if you're not, it is not cool. Like, people will call you out. What do you mean you're on academic right. probation? Like, who does that? And We didn't come here for that. We didn't come here for that. And to have, like, people tell you that you're beautiful for, like, the mm. first time to have women and men tell you like, my gosh, like you are a beautiful person was really what I needed. Um, my 18 year old self needed that. I needed to see what the world could look like. I needed an environment that was going to nurture my skills. I needed people that didn't scold me for asking questions. Um, I needed, like, I needed everything that I got from Hampton University and for me, it was the best decision I could have ever hmm. made. Um, now compare that to the University of South Carolina, where I go in for like my first class and it's just me. I'm the only little dot in the room. Um, and I ended up having a great experience there too, but I often would tell them too, like, yeah, I remember the first two weeks when y'all would go to lunch every day and nobody talked to me. Like that and that was the reality, and not to to down that school at all. But that was just it was the That's juxtaposition of those two environments. And I remember I had to take media law again, and the media law professor at at uh, USC said to me, "He said, oh, I see you already taken media law." And um, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know why y'all making me take it again." And he was like, "Well, I see you got an A in media law, yeah." I did. Well, let's see if you'll get an A in my class, because I don't know what kind of media law you might have gotten. Ah, uh, here we go. That school, and I get in media law, and I'm like, these are all the same cases that like I just took a year and a half ago. It's the exact same <laughs> media law class. I get in there, I ace it, and he's and he did say at the end, he was like, so I guess you really do understand media law. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I guess the same class. It says media law on both of them. It was the class was that, like identical too. How did like so? How, again, how did that conversation make you feel? Just like about how people perceive HBCUs, how they perceived you as a black woman, what you thought about this professor that asked you that question. Like, take take us back to that moment. Like, what was going through your mind when he's asking, and then he's saying like. Well, let's see if you ace my class. It's like, what? Come on. I think Hampton 
prepared me for it. It was almost kind of like I expected it mm. in a way. And and I, I knew that it was coming. And I just, it was like when he said it, I went, oh, there it is. That's what they told yep. me was going to happen. Okay, cool. No problem. And mm. I just, I, and I, you know, I probably said something snarky back to him. Like, yeah, we'll talk about it again when you give me your, when you give me your A. It's not a problem. <laughs> That's a great response. Um, what was your favorite part? Like just Hampton. What was your favorite part of it? I think my favorite part was I really felt like I was always in awe of my classmates. I mean, I think mm. if you can imagine again being 18, 19, 20 years old and sitting across from other 18, 19, 20 year olds who are brilliant and you were like, man, I am slacking on this. <laughs> like just very uh, aware of the world that we were living in, very driven, mm. very ambitious. I just, I, I miss sometimes just sitting in that space and just being in awe of other young people and, and people of color. I think that that was my favorite part. I think it was the feeling of safety and the feeling of like, everybody here is my people. Even the people I don't know, like you guys are all my people. Mm. That was my favorite part. What was your least favorite part about college? <sighs> least favorite part about college was the dorms. I hated really? It. I hated living in a dorm. <laughs> you have any good dorm stories? Not really. So to say that I, I say I hated living in the dorm, I lived in like, if you were to ask us who were there then, I lived in the slummy dorms too. And I got mm. into like my, my freshman dorm was great. And then my upperclassman dorm, I lived in the entire time I was in college. But it was like nobody would ever pick that dorm. But like once I got in there, I'm like, but that's why I like it. Like nobody would ever pick it. Sometimes it's full. Sometimes it's not. You might have a bathroom to yourself or one or two people. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, 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 I did live in like, the slummiest of slum dorms. Well, that makes a difference. <laughs> Big difference. I remember it was, it was close to the journalism building, so I it was also like right across the street. I had an eight o'clock class. You know, you know the drill. Roll out. Oh yeah. 30, Wake up at seven fifty. <laughs> yep. It's like dang. Time to get up eight minutes before class. Right. All right. I guess I got to get up now. Walk across the street. It was great. So did you always think, okay, I'm going into journalism or did you just kind of want to go into something where you could just use your voice and you didn't kind of know what that was until you got there? Yeah, I think I knew I was going to study journalism probably by 10th grade. I kind of mm. locked that in. Um, I was a big Oprah fan and once Oprah and Kathy Hughes were kind of like my idols. And so once I learned, oh, like Oprah was a journalist before she had like the Oprah Winfrey show. That's the trajectory. Mm. Uh, that's the trajectory to become Oprah. That's what I'm going to do. So I was pretty locked into journalism very early on. What were some things that surprised you? Like you got there, you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta take this class. What does this have to do with journalism? Um, yeah, I so Hampton at the time, and I don't know if they still do this, but you had to test in to get into the journalism mm -hmm. program. Like you couldn't just go there and say, I'm going to study journalism. You had to go and like do your, do some classes. So I think you had to like test in immediately. I didn't test until I got to Hampton. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of was undecided for a little bit, but always knowing that I was going to test in and test into the journalism program, man, I think I was like, why do I have to take computer science? What and it was terrible. I that was that was probably the one class I just hated because it was like the mm. code where you had to make the picture and I could never make the picture. Like and there would be these guys <laughs> who were like clearly they were computer science majors. They come in the lab, they'd be sitting down for ten minutes. They're like, oh, it's a cat. I'm like, I've been here two hours and this thing is like <laughs> error, error. 
And they're like, oh yeah, it's a cat. See, this is what this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, but um, in hindsight, I probably should have been gung ho about the computer science class. Yeah, especially now, like everything is coding and computers. I I was again. I feel like I say this episode every episode where I go, man. I was telling my kids today this, but I was telling my kids today, um, if you're gonna break the rules. I said, if you're going to bend or break the rules, you have to be exceptional in that area. Yeah. And I go, well, everybody has an area that they can be exceptional in. The hard part is finding that area for for you. Yeah. And so we don't always get to really live that out for a myriad of reasons you know, maybe, you know, you get to a job, the money is fine. You know, you got to, you have a kid and it's like, I can't really explore my dreams and what I really want to do because, you know, I just got to, now I got to take care of my family. Or maybe a parent was like, oh man, don't do that. That doesn't make any money, you know, or don't do that. You know, you won't be able to, to live off of that. How are you going to support a family? You know, so you go, you kick your dreams to the side, but I feel like we all have an, an area where we can be exceptional. And I think that brings us to our next number, which is four, because you give people with your training, the four secrets to actually love your job today. That's exactly what your website says. What are some experiences that helped you to find these secrets? Yeah. So Part of how I got to creating that guide was um, I actually just was disengaged with like work Mm. and I couldn't really figure out, you know, what is it about my work that I'm just like, I am mentally checked out. Am I burnt out? Mm. What is happening? And so I actually kind of went on my own personal journey of because to your point, right? Maybe I'm disengaged. Maybe I don't like this. Maybe I don't like that. I think there's all kinds of um, coaching advice out there that speaks to, you know, to really do do the inner work and really pinpoint what it is that you don't like about what you're doing, which is one of the steps within the guide. But I think there's also a reality of I got to get a check right now, though. Like there's yep. people counting on me. So I, I don't ha- I don't have the luxury and a lot of women of color don't of saying, well, I'm, I'm going to just not work for for a while or do whatever or I'm done. I'm just not. So that really came from a place of like, how can I get myself back to a place where I'm OK mm. today? Like not like, well, yeah, go get another job. That's awesome. And that's definitely something you should be doing if you're finding that, that what you're doing right now isn't working for you. But sometimes you just got to get through the day. So how can I just get through the day? And so in that guide, um, we look at things like really pinpointing what it is that you don't like so you can have conversations with your manager. But we also talk about how can you just see the job through the eyes of your strengths today? Because when you are operating in your strengths, man, you can be doing the most mundane report, but I'm doing it from a place of this is what I'm good at. I'm going to leverage my strengths. Maybe I'm going to not take the report the same way like Tony threw it over the fence to me. But I'm going to look at it with some fresh eyes and I'm going to put my own little stank on it. And that's how I'm going to get through the day. So that's really where that came from. I mean, it also came from I I had a very traumatic experience with workplace bullying. And so now I coach a lot of women who are on the other side of workplace bullying, helping them do things like getting their confidence back, really defining what success looks like for them. And oftentimes women who are kind of still in it. We work through things like that of like, how can you take the focus off of the bully or the toxicity that's happening around you, put the focus back on yourself so that you can just be productive and get through the day to day and and feel a little more energetic about your work and not have that like negative toxicity just stuck on you all day. What kind of work were you doing? I was doing communications work. So that's kind of been pretty much my entire career. And at the time that I was experiencing what I was experiencing, that's the work that I was doing. 
And so it was equally, you know, it was a very intense role. Um, and so to be in a very intense role, but also not being treated well, but having to show up um, when you're in a communications role or when you're a, a spokesperson, you don't have the luxury of kind of like not doing good. <laughs> you kind of have to get your point across. Um, if you're a spokesperson, you've got to do that very mm. succinctly, very clearly. Sometimes the questions that are being fired at you are not nice, right? So the the, the reporter might be framing them in a way that you're like, huh? but you can't do that on like, camera. Hey, I see what you're so trying to do lot. there. <laughs> so it's it's it was a lot of that, right? Of like, oh, I've got all mm. of this negativity coming at me, but I've only got to put out I've only got to put out positive vibes. So how do you handle a job that's very high stress pretty much all the time? Like, how do you balance that with now, like not taking that high stress Mm -hmm. outside of work? Because a lot of people have jobs where they have to maybe take stuff home or it's difficult to disconnect. Like when you leave work, leave work at work, I'm going home to my family, or even if you go home to yourself, okay? I still don't want to take this work stuff with me. So how do you how do you turn that on and off? Like, yeah, what has been your experience with that? So I think what I'm learning and what I what I hope my 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 clients do is one question I would ask in response to that is, do you? So people who are like, I've got to take this work home with me, do you? Because one of the things that I learned is that a lot of what I was doing was self-inflicted. Mm. So we are taught to work harder. We are taught you've got to you've got to work ten times harder than everybody else, and so we carry that everywhere. It doesn't just mean we work ten times harder at church. It means we work ten times harder at work. So we have more projects. A lot of the women that I coach have bigger teams than everyone else. So their workload is bigger. And so one of the things that that I've learned to do is to really ask myself, who's requiring this of me? Mm. Right. Is this something that is really required or am I working from this place of, well, I've got to do it because I got to carry a bigger load than everybody else because I've got to present a, a, a different way. Um, and we look at these kinds of things when I'm coaching women, because these are the really things that, that women of color and black women specifically bring to work all the time. Right. This notion of I've got to work harder because that's just what I have to do. And I'm I'm bringing everybody else. Right. Like I am a representation of every other black woman who's going to come yeah. into this organization. Right. And so that's one piece of it is is <laughs> is all of this required. Then once we look at mm, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, how do we delegate some of this stuff? Mm-hmm. How do we, um, I call it kind of strategically volunteer because oftentimes our passions are used against us. So you'll find that you're being asked to be on, oh, well, you know, Tony, like you like music. Can you like go and, and help do the, the drama play? And it's like, well, are there coins for that? Because really, my career goals are over here, and I could go help with the play, but that's going to take me off the path of my larger career goals. So let's talk about what the organization needs, where I'm trying to go, and let's delegate that a little bit more strategically, and let's have a conversation around what I'm going to do. And oftentimes, like in the corporate space, it's our passions are used against us. So it's oh, can you can you just sit in on that that DEI committee? the DEI committee that has no funding. And now I'm just, my plate is full with all of this stuff. And so when it's time to assign the big career making projects, my plate is really too full. And they use that against you, right? So it's really looking at what are your own personal values? So what's important to me as a person? And how do I start to do work that is aligned with my values? Absolutely. And then finding, because like there is a place for volunteering and offering your time. But man, when you got so many things that are required, 
that just takes you away from the stuff that you actually want to do. And then if it's volunteered to you because it's a passion of yours, that actually takes you away from the passion because now I'm doing it because I have to, because yeah. it's on somebody else's list of things that they want to get done. And no, I really don't care about it. Right. I'm, I'm disconnected from the passion part. Cause right. And now you're again, becoming disengaged. <laughs> there we Back to square one. <laughs> disengaged. Wow, man. Things just work perfectly around here. Okay. <laughs> when did you start to see like speaking as a business? Like, okay, wait, like I kind of have something here. So you're now leaving this, this job that you are disengaged from, or maybe that's when you started to think about, okay, maybe I'm putting together something that I could offer other people that will be helpful that, huh, maybe, maybe just maybe I could get paid for. Yeah. When did that thought start to enter your mind and how did you then begin to start to put that together? It wasn't until, because I'll be honest, I mean, I had done a lot of things with, hey, I'm coaching and I want to be like inspirational and I want to motivate people and I want to help Black women. And it really wasn't until I kind of sat down with, with some other friends and I was like, guys, you know, I need to, I need to figure this out. I feel like there's something here. There's a natural ability to talk to mm. people and use words. And there's a natural um, something that pulls people to me. Cause I've also always been the, I'm always late in the office with somebody who's like, okay, there's nobody here. Can I, can I talk to you about something? Can I talk? Let me ask you a question. Yes. <laughs> and and I would like really geek out on it. I'm like, great, let's draw this out. How could this look? And um, so I was like, okay, I know that there's kind of this natural skill set here. There's this natural energy that people are, are drawn to me for, but something's missing. And I kept mm. kind of like going back to certain things and, you know, they would kind of read my website and some of my stories and they were like, what are, what, are, what are you afraid of? There's something that you're just not, you, you're holding mm. yourself back. And when I really kind of started to say, I really want to work with women of color who are not having great workplace experiences. Um, and the room kind of went quiet. Mm. And it was because that was a story that I was, I was scared to tell. I didn't want to tell people that I felt like I had been bullied at work, that I felt like I was depressed most days, that I gained 20 pounds, that I wasn't eating, that I was stressed out every day about losing my job while being harassed, while just having all of these like psychological and even, you know, like, like spiritual mental attacks every day. I did not want to tell that story because I didn't want it to be my story. And then when mm. I started telling it and realized that so many other women of color were going through the same things. And I often say that like, we don't suffer in silence anymore because we'll tell each other. We'll go to brunch and we'll talk about the BS with each other, but we are suffering in silos and we're not taking these stories out into the world so that when people talk about things like workplace bullying and discrimination, they need to know how these things feel, how they sit in mm. your spirit, how they're happening to the person next to you in the cube that you go to lunch with every day that you see what's happening to her, but you're not saying anything because she's telling you she's fine. No, you need to feel what she's experiencing mm. and there needs to be a, a space where you can talk about how to build and grow your career, but the space that doesn't make it seem like, and we're going to do that because racism and sexism in the workplace doesn't exist. No, it exists, but we're going to move forward in spite of, and we're, we're going to support each other in spite of. So that was kind of what I really started to, once I, I realized it didn't just happen to me, it was happening right. to so many other women. That was when I thought maybe there's something here. Maybe I have a bigger purpose and there's a different way that I can use these gifts and these talents to support other women. I'm so glad 
uh, and I want you to share the story here in a second, but I, I feel like it is the difficult times. Those are the things, the things that suck in our lives. Those pull us together more than anything else. Yeah. When you go, man, because we connect to those traumatic experiences and they shape how we think and how we see the world, our perspective. So please, for the people who may be hearing you and seeing you for the first time on this podcast, please tell the story as detailed or as short as you would like to. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it short, but um, long, long story short, I hope I can keep it short. <laughs> I, I was working what I had considered my dream job. I felt like I had done everything that every career book mentor, everybody told me to do. I had the list of like, these are the companies that I'm eyeballing and I'm stalking them on LinkedIn and I'm connecting with people there and I'm going to get a job there. And I did like, lo and behold, I submitted an application. Mm. And that was another thing. Like I didn't know anybody there. I saw a job. I submitted my application online. They called me. And I got the job and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, mama, we made it, got the job and um, started the job. And for about a year was great. I had that that feeling again of like, wow, these people are brilliant. They are the top of the game mm. of what they do. I'm going to learn so much here. Like, I am going to be like a CMO in five years with this kind of experience. And uh, probably about a year and a half into that gig, um, I actually went into just a regular one-on-one meeting and I had gotten good feedback. So I'm like, this is going well. I think we're probably, I think she's probably going to give me a promotion. We're going to start talking about promotion here. And we did not. And she looked at me and she said, you are the worst person on my team. And I was like, oh. And I was crushed. And I don't remember much after that, but I just remember being just so devastated. And I did not want to be the worst person on the team. So I I did take notes, kind of like, these are the things that she said I need to work on because I had so much respect for this company and this team. And it was a Friday night. It was a Friday. And I remember I went home that night and I started working on my own improvement plan because if you're in the corporate world, Um, And that was mentioned during the conversation. It was, well, if you don't improve, we're going to put you on an improvement plan. And so if you've ever been threatened with a PIP or been on a PIP, you know what, basically that's kind of the last step before they walk you out the door. And again, no warning. I'm like, I go from no warning, worst person on the team, almost going to be on a PIP. And so I start going like, I basically say, oh, hell no, I will put myself on a PIP before I let anybody else put me on a PIP. And so Mm. I started like researching all of these different things, techniques, tools, online classes that I could learn to improve that I was paying for out of my own pocket. Because I'm like, if Mm. you suck, you can't ask these people to pay for your like professional development. You've got to really show them that you want to be a part of this team because I did. And um, I went back in that Monday, presented it. Like I heard what you said. Here's what I'm going to do. And that was kind of met with a, well, I mean, I don't think it's that serious. And it's like, okay, serious enough for a PIP, but not serious enough for me to make these improvements. And um, it just got progressively worse. Um, It was good Mm. for a little bit, but then it got progressively worse. I was excluded from meetings. Um, My projects were being taken away from me without kind of any previous talks or acknowledgement. My projects were getting taken away from me, getting replaced with very like, administrative, low-level work, Um, everything that I did, everything that I wrote was being met with just this intense level of scrutiny that I never had before. And I mean, that's kind of the the high level of it. No, it wasn't like they were calling me names in the boardroom, but I think if, if you can relate to being like the rock star one day and literally you have no projects, your team is meeting without you, they're going to coffee without you, you don't know what's going on with your work. You're getting very low value work. And every time you submit something, it comes back like like bloody, right? Like what that over time mm. does to your confidence. And every meeting it was, you know, you're not getting better. You're still terrible. You're still not a good employee. We don't know what to do with you. Um, and having to show up in that every day, really, it took a hit. Like my confidence took a hit. I, I was depressed. I... 
I, I, I started to like tremble every time I would send emails, like my hands would start to shake. And I mean, there was one time where I, I had to run to the bathroom because I had gotten that nauseous because I was just so um, wow. filled with anxiety of what is this? What is this email going to be met with on the other side? And um, it really took, it took my one friend on the team who we had worked together. We had been in the trenches together. There was a lot of things on that team that I had trained her on. And it was to the point where for me, I couldn't, I couldn't send an email. And so, right. Like, so all of these things start to feed into each other because now I'm so, I'm filled with so much anxiety and, and, and the work was really fast paced. So I, you know, they, there wasn't a lot of time allotted for me to like send emails. You gotta, you gotta, when you're working with media, you, you gotta get it done pretty quick. And, um, I turned to her and I was like, and, and these were, it was to the point now where it was simple emails of like, if I was just saying, Hey, Tony, I'm just following up to see if you read the such and such. I would be like, can you review this for me? Because there was wow. always something in my work and it took that one friend and I call them, but I know now that those people are called bystanders in the bullying world to say to me, she said, I'm not, she's like, no, I'm not going to review any more emails for you. Because mm. what they're doing to you is not okay, but what you are doing to you is something that I'm not going to sit back and watch anymore. You know your value. You know your talent. You read that email, you push send, and then we're going to go have pizza. And that's going to be the end of this. Like, when I'm not doing this. I'm not going to watch you do this, and I'm not going to be a part in what you're doing to yourself anymore. And um, it, it kind of took that of like, oh to snap me out of it, to go, one, I'm not mm. making this all up. Because when you're a woman, sometimes in the work world, you get met with like, well, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, is that really happening? And it was like, for me, it was, oh, yeah, I'm not crazy. This is really happening. I'm really being mistreated. And that was kind of the, the impetus for me to, one, kind of start standing up for myself. And then really starting to get my confidence back and actually find my way out of that environment. So that was the moment. Because my question, my <laughs> next question was, what was the moment that turned it around? It was that friend like, hey, hey, you're clearly talented. Send the email. This is not okay. And then we're going to go get pizza. Yeah. That was the moment for you. Yeah, that was the moment. Shout out to, shout out to good friends. What's that friend's name? Oh, can, I don't want to say her can. name. <laughs> okay. 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 Just make sure you tell that friend thank you. She knows. Again, I tell her I know thank every... you all the time. She knows. That's awesome. So with all that experience, all these different ups and downs, these successes, and going through so much, I think that at this point, when we get to our three what's, you'll be able to give some wonderful, wonderful advice here. Okay. First what? What's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? Um, <laughs> one of them is I, I no longer subscribe to the motto that as a person of color in a corporate structure, whether that's government because I've done them all, government, nonprofit, all of it looks and functions the same way to me. I am no, I no longer subscribe to the notion of I've got to work 10 times harder than everyone else. I work smarter now. I leverage my assets and my resources a lot better. And I have given up on working harder than everybody else. I like it. You are <laughs> not the first person to say that on this podcast. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to everybody. Okay. Second what? If you weren't working in communications, what field would you be working in? Man, if I wasn't doing this, although I have asked myself that question a lot, I think this world is definitely it for me, but I think I would be a dancer. Now, I've yes. never danced. I, I, I've never, I wasn't in ballet or anything. But like, if I'm like, if I could do anything, it would be like creating art, like with my body and moving and dancing. 
That'd be my jam. Okay, I'm I'm with dancing. We grew up dancing. My dad was a dancer, so yeah. he always wanted to make us do like these routines and stuff. We hated it. <laughs> yeah, I would have been with it. Like now, I'm so like I, I don't have kids, but I have a niece, and I'm like, don't you want don't you want me to do a TikTok with you? Like I love that. Like let's like choreograph some stuff and do some TikToks. And she's like, absolutely not. I do not want that. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. What advice would you give to someone in high school, 14 to 18, 19 years old? Take this back to my kids. What would you say to them? Yeah, so I have a niece who is, um, she's a senior in high school. So I will, these are some of the things that I, I think about that I want to share with her. And one of them that has become more prevalent for me and it, it might be a little controversial, so I don't know if you want to share it with your, your kids. Okay, okay, come but on I with it. But I tell her now to prepare for the time, like, prepare her finances and her life for the times that she doesn't want to work. Because I have, I just, I believe that if we keep working and moving and, and doing, going about life the way that we are, there's going to come a point in your career where you might not want to quit completely, but you might want to break. You might want that year where you're not going to work and you're just maybe just getting yourself together. And so I tell her now that you need to prepare for a break at probably about year 15 and, and don't try to go hard from like 25 to 65 or 70, but prepare for something to happen where you're going to want to rest. And the other thing that I, I tell her is you can always dream. Dream as big as you want to, but mm. act small. Take small actions because, you know, these these young people, really, if you talk to them, they're so passionate. They're very intuitive. They understand on, on very deep levels, the world that they live in and they know what's important to them. They, they, they understand at their core what their values are. There's still a level of maturity that they have to go through, but I'm so impressed with them. And, you know, we can get very overwhelmed by the big issues that impact us. There's so many things mm. that you want to do and you want to have change and you want to impact the world. And I think that young people get a lot of those messages of like, be impactful. That feels very big when you yeah. are just starting out. Or even to us now, it's sometimes when you think about, gosh, there's so much going on, but act small. There's something in your community. There's a kid around the corner from you that doesn't have lunch money. $4, you know, give him lunch money, give her lunch money. There are some very small issues that everyday people are facing that can be solved with very small actions, very small amounts of dollars, right? Like $1,000 may not go far, but I give a thousand, you give a thousand, she gives a thousand, and we do that as a collective, then we can mm. still impact change. So I invite young people to yeah, dream big, but take some of that pressure off yourself and take the small actions because you'll look up many, many, many years from now and you have gone so much farther than you thought you could by just focusing on taking those small actions. What better place to leave it <laughs> with just think big, take small steps. Step one, do step one. Okay, great. Step one's done. What's step two? Yeah. Wow. Zanika, that's, it's been a great episode. I it's loved been it. a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Well, signing off for Miss Chapman, of course, we can't leave without you telling people where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me. Um, I'm on all the socials, but I tend to act up the most on Instagram at Z underscore Chatman. So that's C-H-A-T-M-A-N. And um, you can catch me on LinkedIn. It's Zanika Chapman on LinkedIn. And if you want to check out my website and grab that guide that we talked about, it's available at ZanikaChatman.com. That's Z-E-N-I-C-A-C-H-A-T-M-A-N.com. You heard it here first. Well, maybe not first, but first time here. That's right. Uh, thank you all for listening. 
Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for watching. Of course, make sure you like, subscribe, download, share the episode with someone who you think would love it. Thank you all, and I will see you in the next one. Here we go. Voila. Voila. <laughs>